When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hello, and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about why you might want to identify your pace setter, and we'll also discuss a common challenge, drinking less alcohol. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me from the Disney lot in Los Angeles is Elizabeth Kraft, who is in some ways my pace setter. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretch, I have to say, I would call you the ultimate pace setter. <laughs> so I want to hear how I could possibly be your pace setter. Yes, yes. What is it to be a pace setter? But before we jump into the try this at home for this week, we have an update from Jill. Jill says, I've been wanting to email to say thanks ever since you posted my question on the podcast in episode 177 regarding demanding neighbors and working from home. But I figured I should try some of your tips before providing an update. First, there is something to be said for providing validation to an obliger. The sheer validation that neighbors and family asking a person to watch their kids or let out their dogs in the middle of the workday is a big ask. <laughs> was enough to give me the courage to say no. Thank you for that. So for the past two months, I've been saying no. And as Gretchen predicted, the more I say no, the less people ask of me and the less resentment I feel. Liz had recommended defaulting to saying no with a work excuse, i.e. saying I have a conference call. 
This has been pivotal because not only has the strategy conveyed that I am, in fact, working, but it gives my calendar the freedom actually to have conference <laughs> calls. This has also taught me that I'm half of the issue. As an obliger, I struggle to say no and struggle to find balance. So as an extension of this and the satisfaction of the conference call method, I have enlisted the strategy of scheduling. I have started outlining three days a week called homework days. Homework days are days in which I must be at home simply to work. So when someone asks if I can watch their child because they have a doctor appointment, I've been able to also look at my calendar and truthfully say I have work obligations. You always say obligers will find the most creative accountability measures, and there is clearly truth in that. Excellent. Well, yay. Yes, Jill has found a way to get her work done from home. That's excellent. Great use of all different kinds of accountability strategies. That's terrific. Yeah, I love her scheduling homework yeah. days so that, you know, she's saying, oh, I can't do it. That's a work day. And that she it said, perfect sense. as she said, like, then you actually can have conference calls because you have the time to do that. You know, yes. yeah, it's kind of like the more booked up you are with non-work stuff, the harder it is to book the work stuff. And so then it becomes a negative cycle. So Jill, thanks for that update. It's always really interesting for us to hear kind of the chapter two yeah. of someone's uh, questions. So thanks for writing in. And Elizabeth, I also wanted to mention, I'm so excited because um, the 10th anniversary of the Happiness Project is coming up and the new edition of the book is going to hit the shelves October 30th. Yeah, that is so exciting. So did you write something new? Is there an update? There is. There's an interview in the back. There's an update sort of like, you know, where are they now of everybody in the book? Like mm -hmm. people who meet, actually meet my daughters are often like, oh, I thought you were like five years old. And it's like, I was when the right. book came out. <laughs> so there's updates and there's some new resources in there. So I try to provide a lot of good new stuff. Um, and then a lot of people, you know, it came out 10 years ago. So it's a book that maybe they weren't even that aware of. So it's really exciting for me to have a chance to revisit a book that was such a source of happiness for me. Um, it's fun that it's kind of making a new entrance onto the bookshelves of the world um, now. Yes. Well, I will pre-order my copy today. Ah, uh, what a good <laughs> sister. <laughs> I'll order a few. That'll be a good gift. There you go. Now, for the Try This at Home this week, Elizabeth, our tip is to find your pace setter. Yeah, and Gretch, how did you get this idea? Well, I was actually from you and Sarah, because I was listening to your discussion um, with Sarah on the Happier in Hollywood podcast. And in episode 71, you two talked about identifying your nemesis, mm -hmm. which is like, in a way, like a dark pace setter. Mm -hmm. And then in episode 73, you talked about the opposite, the professional crush, which in some ways is kind of the positive version. And that got me thinking about these people in our lives who play this role. Yeah, it's important to have people to sort of look to. Yeah. So what I started thinking of is, well, what's a, even a more neutral way of thinking about this kind of person and the role they play in your life? And I was thinking of the pace setter. I love that term. What, what exactly does it mean? So here's the definition of a pace setter. A pace setter is a runner or competitor who sets the pace at the beginning of a race or competition, sometimes in order to help another runner break mm. a record. Or it's a person or organization viewed as taking the lead or setting standards of achievement for others. For instance, Alaska is the pace setter when it comes to salaries for teachers. And so when you pick a pace setter, it's like somebody you're saying, this person is maybe out in front of me and they're doing things, they're setting a pace and I need to match that pace because I see that they're performing at an excellent level and I want to keep pace with them as a way to like keep myself moving forward 
with as much ambition as possible. Well, I absolutely love this idea because I do think outside looking to outside um, forces can be super helpful. Yeah, if you're just in your own head, it's easy. You can get complacent. You might not think of something that you could do. You just It just never occurs to you. Um, there's a lot of reasons why you might um, not take advantage of opportunities um, that you might spot if you're looking to your pace setter. So, Gretch, who is your pace setter? What's interesting, one of I have many pace setters because I've sort of like uh, cobbled together a lot of different aspects. So there's no one person that I would look to. But one pace setter certainly is a, a brilliant writer, and he does a million different things, uh, Dan Pink. So he's written books like When and Drive and A Whole New Mind. And what I really like about Dan and why I look to him is that he experiments all the time. Like mm-hmm. he does video. He had a podcast years ago. He has a great website that's always like really cutting edge in terms of design and uh, function. And I was looking at his email, actually, and he sent me an email in 2010 that I have saved in my email all these years because it was about video courses. Mm. He was like, if you ever want to do video courses, I have a great person. And I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, Dan Pink does video courses. My pace setter does video courses. And, of course, like now I have just started doing video courses eight years later. But I think it was in my mind, and I jumped at the chance to do it because I'd known all this time it was something that Dan had tried, and so I was like, okay, well, maybe I should try it. And by the way, if you want to check out my video courses, it's courses.gretchenrubin.com. They're there. They are actually there in the world. Um, I'm so excited. Yeah, I mean, that's great, Gretch. I love that it can be six years or eight years <laughs> later, but, you know, hey, yeah. it's still a pace. Yes, and it's in your mind. It's in your mind. Yes. Um, now, how about you? Do you have a pace setter? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we also probably have a lot of pace setters, but two in particular come to mind, uh, I think because it's another female writing team. Mm-hmm. So there aren't that many female writing teams in Hollywood, so we mm-hmm. kind of are all aware of each other. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a team, um, their names are Tara Butters and Michelle Fazekas, and they're another team of drama writers. And we all sort of started at the same time. And they had a show at the same time we had our first show. And our show got canceled, but theirs got renewed. So I think because of that, I sort of always looked to them as being mm-hmm. the pace setters. Um, we're all at ABC Studios. Um, they have something called a pod, which means they also produce shows for like with other writers, not just sort of what they themselves write. And that's mm. something that Sarah and I would very much like to do. So we sort of just look to them as, okay, what are Michelle and Tara doing? We should be doing the same thing. Right. Again, it's not a negative feeling it, at all. So it's they're not nemesis. Mm-hmm. Nemesis? I'm not sure what the yeah. plural of nemesis <laughs> is. Um, but they're pace setters. That's exactly what they are. And anything they're doing, I, I could be sure I want to do. Yeah. Well, I think the thing about why it's valuable to have a pace setter is like so many things – it's important to articulate and sometimes even to admit an aim to yourself. Like sometimes it can be hard to dream big. You feel sheepish yes. about it or you like your imagination isn't even big enough or that you, sometimes you do have these dr- big dreams. It's hard to sort of like say it out loud because you feel like, oh, my God, like me saying like I want a TV show like that just yes. feels like a big thing. But when you see that your pace setter is doing something, it's like, OK, it's out in the world. It's happening. I think recognizing it can allow you to admit to yourself what it is that you want and it also is an example of somebody who has what you want and so then it seems like okay well what did they do how did they go about it it feels more yes. realistic 
there's a yeah. path forward. I think yes. that's a big part of it is that, yes. and you're 100% right, seeing that Tara and Michelle have a pod, that's like, yeah. okay, well, we're very similar in our careers. Yes. So there's no reason that there isn't a path toward us having a pod. Right. And so you're absolutely right. It's an empowering feeling to see yes. like what's possible. Yes. Now, Gretchen, I will say, I feel like a pace setter needs to be sort of someone in range of what you're doing. Like yeah. Shonda Rhimes, who's one of the biggest names in television, is not my pace setter <laughs> because she's just too big. Yeah. You know, I'd love to be in a place where she is my pace setter, <laughs> um, but I'm not there. She's yes. the Mount Olympus, you know, yeah. and so yeah. I need someone closer to where I am. Yeah. They have to remind you of what's possible and that it's something that you, as you say, you can see the path forward, that it, it feels like something where it's it's something you can imitate. Like Dan Pink had a video course. I could have a video course. Yeah. It's not so beyond the range that it's, it's it might be fun to think about it and dream about it and aim toward it. But a pace setter is somebody really where like you're reasonably close behind them in the race. They're setting the pace for you, but you're right behind them on the track. Yeah. And Gretch, I will also point out pace setter is different from mentor. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yes. Why? Yes. Well, because, of course, we have like a lot of mentors, but a mentor is someone who takes an interest in you, who you yeah. ask advice from, who might yeah. guide you. I think a pace setter doesn't necessarily even know you exist. Yeah, no, that's true. Or maybe it's just an acquaintance. It's somebody who you know a little bit, but you know enough about what they're doing that they can set your pace. But it doesn't need to be somebody that you have a relationship with. So that gives you a lot more opportunities to find pace setters because it doesn't have to be someone who actually um, was within your circle of known people. Yeah, it's more like someone you're observing from afar. Right. Now, I think, you know, we're talking about pace setters in professional circumstances, but I think there can be pace setters like in family life and private life. Oh, yeah. Um, a friend of mine, like, she moved her family to France for a year. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my gosh, I could never do that. But then I was like, well, I don't think I would ever do that. But this is somebody who I know well, and she did it. So even though it's not a possibility that I'm not interested in, I could feel that my mind was stretching because I was like, this is something they could do. And Elizabeth, I think in a lot of ways, you're my pace setter because if you do something, a lot of times I'm like, well, if Elizabeth can do it, <laughs> I can do it. Like, one of the things we've talked about so many times is wearing clothes. Yes. Clothes in, like, quotation marks. And you've been upping your game. Like, I've seen I that know. on Instagram. Um, and I'm like, if Elizabeth can wear clothes, I could wear clothes. If Elizabeth can plan a family overnight trip amid everything she's got in, going on in her life, I can too, maybe. You know? Or, like, you've got a whole other podcast. I mean, talk about you want a pod like Michelle mm -hmm. and Terry. Like you have another podcast. I'm like, well, Elizabeth has a second podcast. That's something that as a pace setter, I'm like, oh, well, this is something that I can conceive of. I can think about because as a pace setter, I compare myself to you and I look to you for ideas and um, possibilities. Well, thank you, Gretch. I'm very flattered <laughs> that I'm one of your pace setters. I have to say to me, you're more in the Shonda Rhimes camp. I feel like you're so <laughs> far above me. I would never even pace myself against you um, because you're the ultimate pace setter. Um, <laughs> but I appreciate that I'm the pace setter and the wearing of um, professional garb. Which no, I but you've got a whole day job. Like, you've got a whole other job, which I don't have. I'm like, that's yeah. why I can be a pace setter in some ways is because I have, like, freedom and opportunity and energy to do things that are different from what you do. And you're, like, you're working in a such a different environment. But that's why I think it's good to have pace setters who are maybe doing things that are slightly different because they can take advantage of opportunities or spot opportunities that you couldn't because you're in a slightly different 
different situations. So maybe that's why we both have kind of cobbled together pace setters, because no one exactly replicates you, but you can see from different things what you could draw on, given your different kind of time pressures, interests, abilities, resources, all that stuff. What I really need to find is someone who's not great at entertaining and use them, but like <laughs> does it anyway and have them be my pace setter. There so you I, go. I that's right. For that. The search for the pace setter. Um, well, let us know if you try this at home and how identifying your pace setter works for you and like what your pace setter is setting the pace for you in, what domain. Uh, let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode. That's happiercast.com slash 191 for everything related to this episode. And by the way, we really do love to connect with listeners on social media. Follow us. Talk to us. We really love that. Yes. Coming up, we've got a happiness hack that will help you work better with others. But first, this break. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, his retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to StoryWorth.com happier. That's StoryWorth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Elizabeth, it's time for this week's happiness hack. Yes, and it comes from Julie. She says, I'm a remote employee, the only one at my company, and we've recently hired a bunch of new employees. I won't have a chance to meet any of them before I am on projects with them, so I've been thinking of ways I can bridge the getting to know you gap. After some internet research, I went down a rabbit hole of user guides for coworkers, basically creating a user guide to yourself that your coworkers can read to understand how you operate better. <laughs> Think sections like how I prefer to be contacted, what my schedule looks like, what my work habits are, etc. 
I truly believe that better understanding our coworkers in this way helps create empathy and trust, which in turn creates efficiencies in projects and an all around better work experience for all. My hope is that my coworkers create their own for me to read and reflect on. I think this is brilliant. I love the idea of like a user's manual to Gretchen or user's manual to Elizabeth. You know, it's hilarious. Yeah, it goes with the thing that we've talked about of letting someone know if they can text you in the middle of the night or not. Yes, exactly. Or like what your workflow is. Like I'm a super duper morning person Mm -hmm. and I'm like at my desk very early and so is my literary agent. And so we will Mm -hmm. often have long email conversations at like 7 a.m. And she knows that that's a good time to like get my attention. Um, And I know that's a good time to get her attention. So it's like, are you a morning person or night person? Or like if it's an urgent communication or a non-urgent communication, would you rather get an email or a text? Yeah. People really have very different preferences about how to use email, how to use text. And Gretch, for instance, you like to get more emails that are each one subject yes. as opposed to fewer emails that have five things listed. Yes. And I agree with you there, by the way, because then you can search for the subject line and yes. find, go back to something. Well, and I often use it as a to-do list, and so then I can delete it, mm-hmm. and I know it's done. But if you have a lot... Yes. So, again, here it is. Like, I can go on and on about yes, why that works in, for me. Yes. yes. But the fact is, it's like once you start working with somebody, it's hard in a kind of friendly and considerate and non-critical way to be like, I really wish you would do it a different way. It starts feeling like a criticism or it's just a more difficult right. conversation. But if it's in the user guide from the beginning, then it's just a very kind of like matter of fact, straightforward conversation. And then it might be like, well, maybe you have a different preference, so we have to work that out. But I'm not criticizing your style because this is just the user guide. Yeah. And it would even be helpful if you said something like, FYI, when I email about work, I don't bother with niceties. So please don't take my tone as brusque. (laughs) I'm just getting the information out. Yes. And then some people would rather have an email exchange. Some people would rather hop on the phone. I would always Mm -hmm. prefer almost always to do email because then I have a record of it. One thing that I've noticed that's very different is some people batch tasks. Like they'll Mm. save things and do like all of things of a kind at once. I'm a like do things as they come up kind of person. And there's arguments for both. But again, it's just different ways of approaching tasks. But it's sometimes hard for me to feel like people who batch are not procrastinating. But clearly they are not procrastinating. They are Mm. batching. So Mm. again, it's a user guide So you just know what someone's philosophy is and you don't assume that they're just like dropping the ball because they're very efficiently batching. Yeah. And the other thing is it kind of forces you to look at your own um, shortcomings. Like you could you might have to say, by the way, expect me to be 10 minutes late (laughs) or by the way, I'm not great at responding to emails. Yeah. Um, Like Adam, my husband, he never calls anyone back. He just hates calling people back. Yeah. And everyone new person in our life at some point will say to me, does Adam call you back? And I say, no, he doesn't. <laughs> don't feel that about it. Um, and I don't know what it is, but he has a pathological fear of calling people back. But that's the thing. Like some people, it's like you and after over time you learn like, oh, this person just doesn't. And, and you will often have third party conversations about people when like you're in a work thing. And it's like, oh, by the way, that person's really bad about returning email or whatever. Yeah. Um, or, oh, by the way, that person doesn't look at their email over the weekend. But it's like with the user guide, you can just all that information can just be upfront. Yeah. But maybe you do have like the PS from like the coworker or the spouse or whatever who's like, 
just so you know, like this person's really bad with tech, so don't ask them to do anything that requires any tech savviness at all because mm, they won't yeah. be able to do it. Or maybe you could say that about yourself. But I just love this idea of like know yourself and be honest about how you work and then people can disagree with it and then you can work it out. But it's all kind of out there as something that it can just be impersonally discussed as preferences rather than these kind of sand-filled friction points that have to be worked out over time. Yeah, as always, communication is the key. Yes. This so is a- just opening the lines of communication right from the get-go. Yeah. And it is hard when you're not in the same room with someone and having that yeah. one-on-one interaction. It's just a way to bridge, as she said, bridge the getting to know you gap. Yeah, exactly. So thank you, Julie. And that's a great way to overcome a potential stumbling block, which is like trying to figure out how to work efficiently with your coworkers. And now we have an actual stumbling block brought up by our listener, Whitney. Yeah, she says, the happiness stumbling block I want to ask about today is the evening wine habit. The problem is not mine, but my mother's. I think she is an obliger with some rebel leanings. She wants to cut back on her wine drinking, but it's a fatigue and comfort ritual for her. And by the time she gets home from work, she finds herself wanting the wine more than she wants to avoid it. Then one glass becomes three pretty easily. She's not an alcoholic, but it's a difficult habit to break. And I was wondering if you had any advice as to how she might replace the ritual with something better. Well, yeah, this is a very good question. Well, this is so common. I have so many thoughts because this came up over and over when I was writing my book, Better Than Before, which is all about habit change. And so many people said that they're like, it's not that I'm an alcoholic and that I'm having like a real issue with alcohol, but I just think I'd like do better in life. I'd feel healthier, happier, more creative or keep my better habits if I drank less. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's the essential seven, which is just about every habit that everybody wants to change falls into one of seven categories. And this falls into the number one category of eat and drink more healthfully. Mm. And I'll post a link to the list of the essential seven um, in the show notes if anybody wants it. Uh, This is something that comes up all the time. So what are your suggestions, Scratch? The first thing I would say is that it is Whitney Mm -hmm. who's writing it. And one thing to think about is there are things called red herring habits. And this is when somebody says they want to change a habit, but they don't really have any intention of changing that habit. Mm. So it's like, you know, oh, my kids tell me to exercise all the time more that I need to start exercising. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I should start exercising. I'm going to start exercising. Yeah, for sure. But like. If you talk to that person, you realize they don't really have any intention. They just say that they have that desire because other people want. So my first question is, does her mother actually want to stop drinking this much wine? Or is it just like Whitney says, hey, mom, I think you'd feel better if you drank less. And her mom's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I should drink less. She doesn't really want to. So that's the first question. Is there any desire? Because there may not be, but there could be. It could be that the mother is honestly, like many people I spoke to, is like, you know, I just feel better if I cut back. Mm -hmm. So the most obvious and easiest thing is just don't keep wine in the house. Uh, It's like if you want to have a glass of wine after work, you have to like stop off at a place and buy a glass of wine. Believe me, that is so much more difficult. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times you'll just be like, it's just I just want to go home. So the um, strategy of inconvenience, right? Yes. Of the 21 strategies that I talked about better than before. The strategy of inconvenience is like one of the most and the twin strategy of convenience. It's one of the most effective. Um, So just don't have wine in the house. That would be one suggestion. Now, 
kind of related is the strategy of abstaining. And mm-hmm. I've talked about, the, you know, I'm an abstainer. Um, and this is a strategy that works really, really well for some people, but not for everyone. And so it's something for her mother to consider. If you are an abstainer and you're dealing with a strong temptation, and this is not because there's anything special about wine, but just like it could be brownies, it could be French fries. Mm-hmm. For some people, it's easier to have none than to have a little bit. And we're often told like, oh, you should be moderate and don't be too hard on yourself and follow the 80-20 rule and just have one glass of wine. But like I have a friend and she's like, I can have no wine or I can have four glasses of wine, but Mm -hmm. I can't have one glass of wine. I think that's especially true with wine because it does, um, you know, sort of break down your barriers. Yes. Yes. Having one glass is more likely to lead to more. Yes. Yes. uh, Because physically you're like, oh, well, then, you know, so that makes particular sense in this case. You know, because that's part of what's pleasurable about drinking wine is it lowers your inhibitions. I mean, you're exactly right. Like this goes straight to the abstainer thing because having the wine makes it more likely. And so one thing I would say is like, and it's not even like you're giving it up or like you can't have it. It's just easier for me to have none than to try to have a little bit. Just like I don't eat sugar because it's easier. I can very easily not have sugar. But once I have a little bit of sugar, I'm just like, that's all I'm thinking about all day long. So that's something to think about. But what if you want to have one glass of wine, you know, mm-hmm. or you want to have a little healthy treat? One thing I would say is, is there a substitution? Because, you know, we've talked about treat yourself and how people need treats. We have to be able to reach for something when we feel like we need to recharge our battery. And you're going to reach for something. You're going to. So is there something else she could reach for that would feel like a healthy treat? It's a fatigue and comfort ritual for her. So instead of just saying, I'm taking something away, could she say, I'm swapping? Mm -hmm. Is there something that would be a swap? Now, like a thing that you and, and I don't really do, Elizabeth, is take baths. For some people, this mm. is like an incredible treat. For us, nah. We yeah. don't, I mean, I don't even have a bathtub in my bathroom. In, you know, uh, I mean, I have I. one in my apartment, but yeah, I would have to like go to you know Eleanor's bathroom. Or is there like a delicious tea or a sparkling water with a splash of cranberry juice and a lime slice? Is there something that you could have that would be, I need something, I want something, I deserve something, I get something, what am I getting? Now, you don't want it to be a brownie. You don't want to make yourself feel, try to feel better by giving yourself something that's just going to end up making you feel worse. But is there a substitution? Yeah, because Gretchen, I think a lot of it is like, it's the triggering, like, Drinking wine means she's home and relaxed. Yes. It's like it yes. triggers yes. the after work feeling, yes. the nighttime yes. relaxation. Yes. I mean, it seems to me like back to the tea thing, you could even sort of up your tea game so that it's more ritualistic, like have yes. a separate little pot, ha- go yes. to Tivana and get the loose tea leaves and the strainer so that it's like a thing that you only do at home when you're relaxed. Yeah. You yeah. know, because part of it is, like, if I drink coffee all day, well, coming home and having a cup of coffee yes. doesn't feel relaxing. But you don't yes. drink wine all day. You know yes. what I mean? Right. That's why it feels relaxing. Yeah. So if there were something that you just, you, or don't let yourself have LaCroix with lime during the day, only yeah. at night, like you're saying, so that it does trigger that sense of relaxation. I mean, I had... um Someone I work with, uh, David Hoberman, his thing when he was young and working all the time was that when he got home, he put on his baseball cap and that meant he was off work. Ah. And it was very important for him (laughs) to be able to wear his baseball cap on the weekend because it meant he's not working and he has a very strong feeling about baseball caps, you know. So I think that's a lot of it. 
Yeah, yeah. I have a friend similar. He's like this very kind of proper investment banker type of guy. But he puts on his robe. And we went over, and, uh, my husband and I went over there one time. We were like watching some big game or something. And so they were like, you know, some of our friends were like, come over. And there he was wearing his dress shirt. In my mind, he's like wearing his black socks and work shoes, like with yeah. a robe. I can't believe that's actually true, but it was like this weird outfit. I'm like, oh, what are you wearing? Funny. He's like, I'm home. We're watching the game. I got my robe on. Again, it's like even like the baseball cap. It's like a symbol to yourself. But also, here's where the strategy of the clean slate can come up. So somebody I know who was trying to drink less wine realized that what she did is she'd pour herself a glass of wine, sit down at the computer and kind of like check Facebook and Instagram and kind of veg out that way. So Mm. it's like break up that whole routine. If the wine is part of a whole set of behaviors, change the whole set of behaviors. Don't try to just like pluck out one puzzle piece, but Mm. say like, I'm not going to sit at this table. I'm going to go into this whole other room. I'm not going to do this at this time. I'm going to read the, I'm going to read magazines at this time, or I'm going to read a book at this time, or I'm going to, you know what I mean? Just like change up the whole thing. A lot of times it's easier to change one habit, you know, the clean slate when a lot of habits, like all the circumstances surrounding that habit change, then it's easier to do it. The other thing, Gretchen, and uh, is maybe she's just tired and needs to go to bed earlier. Yes. Yes. You know. And drinking less alcohol will probably improve her sleep and her quality of sleep. So that's another way that it would be positive. So this is a really common question. Well, we would love to hear from people about what they've done to address this, because this is, as I said, when I was working on Better Than Before, this came up over and over and over as a desirable habit change that people talked about. Um, if you want the checklist for habit change, which is my one page where it lists all 21 strategies so you can think about how you could apply all 21 to an important habit, because a lot of times it does take, like as we've been talking about, you might apply five different strategies, which is easier than it sounds, really. Um, it's at GretchenRubin.com slash resources if you go to the section for resources related to Better Than Before. Um, and I'll also post a link to it in the show notes. Coming up, I give Gretchen a gold star. But first, this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Gretch, it's time for demerits and gold stars. What is your happiness demerit this week? Yes, I'm giving myself a demerit, so I'm very happy to hear that there's a gold star coming (laughs) for me because I need those gold stars. Uh, But my demerit is this. So my daughter, Eliza, is a sophomore in college, and she came home for Columbus Day weekend, which, Elizabeth, to me, that seems crazy because, you know, we lived in Kansas City, so we never came home for, like, lesser holidays because it was too far to go. But she came home for Columbus Day, which was wonderful. And I give myself a demerit because I didn't do anything to kind of mark the fact that she was coming home. And Mm. when we, even now, mom will often do things like put flowers in our bedroom or 
put aside interesting articles for us. Or last year, I think Eleanor and I made a sign saying, like, welcome home. And this time we did nothing. Now, she's only been at school for like five weeks. But I think in her mind, it was, you know, when you're in college, like each week is an eternity. I think she really felt like she'd been away. And I have to admit, like, I wasn't even home when she (laughs) got home. And I just felt later on, I was like, I wish I'd had a little bit more um, a celebratory feeling like, oh, we're so excited you're here. I mean, I texted her like, oh, we're so excited you're coming. But that's not the same thing as making a sign or putting flowers in someone's room. Yeah, it is funny. I I always did feel very loved with mom's little treats, sort of. Yeah. Like there might be a little gift or something yeah. of hers she thought you would want. Yes. Or, yes, she would just sort of have something um, waiting for you, like, oh. Yeah, you're home. Treat. Yeah, it was not a big deal, no. but it was noticeable. So. Um, that's something I want to strive for more because I feel like it, it really is nice to make have that feeling like, oh, look, here I am. I'm back. And it's a big deal. Yes. So, Elizabeth, gold star. Yes. So, Gretchen, I am giving you a big gold star Yay. because you have completed <laughs> the photo album of our summer trip to Montana where we yep. were having a double ce- uh, birthday celebration because um, our dad and Bob, Jamie's dad, are both having big birthdays this year. Um, yeah. And you announced to everyone that you were taking on the task of making a photo <laughs> album. So anyone who took pictures would send them to you. And you yeah. were very diligent about taking photos. You even took like individual photos of everyone, like a really nice kind of posed photo with good light. Yeah. Um, and those are in the album. And so I asked for my album immediately because I wanted to see it. And it's absolutely gorgeous. It captures the weekend perfectly. Um, it's really big and it has a beautiful picture on the cover. It's really a nice keepsake. So and that is not easy. I mean, I have never made a photo album in my life. So <laughs> I am beyond impressed. And I think you get a huge gold star and very timely, too. I mean, our trip was in August. So that was like less than six weeks later, I think, that you got this done. Well, the thing is, I had fallen a year behind in doing other photo albums. So it kind of forced me. I was like, I've got to get this done. And so it forced me to catch up, which was good. Um, I do know how to do photo albums. It's the kind of thing, like, once you've done it a few times, it gets a lot easier. Yeah. But I did decide in the moment, I was like, I either need to step up and do this or not, because it's one of those mm. things that it's a lot easier to do it. if you. Do, it's like one of these things, if you can't get out of it, get into it. And mm. I'm like, no one's going to do the photo album if I don't, so I need to embrace it. And then I was so happy. And you said you wanted to get it now, because I emailed everybody. It's like, do you want it as a Christmas present, or do you want it now? And everybody's like, we want it now. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was so sweet. My father-in-law loved it so much, he asked if he could have another one for his office. Oh, that is great. <laughs> no, so it was one of these things where it was a hassle, and I was kind of like, ugh, why did I take this on? But then once it was done, I was just like skipping around the room. I felt so happy that I had done it. Uh, so thank you for the gold star. And thank you. Everybody absolutely. cooperated in letting me take their picture, which sometimes people can be sort of annoying about that. But everybody was mm. like, we get it. You're doing this. It's a community service for all of us. <laughs> we will let you take our picture over and over until you get the picture you want. Well, I, um, you're the pace setter for me in photo <laughs> albums. <laughs> And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Identify your pace setter. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Cameron Drews. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Kraft. 
Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Now we say it every show, and I will say it again. If you like the show, please tell a friend. Show them how to listen to a podcast. If they do not know, so many people do not know, you can show them. You can get the gold star for being the person who shows them how to listen to a podcast and tell them about our show when you do it. Um, this week, the resources, uh, speaking of pace setters, um, many of the people who I look to as pace setters have done workshops, um, and I am very excited that now I have done a workshop too. I, my Four Tendencies workshop is for people who want to teach people about the Four Tendencies. A lot of times, like coworkers or teachers, different people want to have workshops on about the Four Tendencies. This was also on my 18 for 2018 list, so I'm very happy that I crossed this one off. Mm. And you can find it if you go to workshop.gretchenrubin.com. There's all the information that you need. And then also, if you are interested in the four tendencies and you would like a free chapter from the book to see, like we talk about it all the time on the podcast, if you're thinking, huh, I wonder if I want to read a book about it. uh, If you go to gretchenrubin.com slash resources, you can get a free chapter and check it out. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. So, Gretch, this guy who was wearing a bathrobe, did he have pants on? <laughs> was he just wearing a robe over his outfit? It'd be odd to go to someone's house and they don't have pants on. I got to say, in my memory, he didn't have pants on, but surely he had pants on. <laughs> I don't, I, I can't, I got to ask Jamie, I can't really remember, but um, it was pretty funny.